Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. It's Easter, which is my favorite Sunday of the year, even though it's never like a mystery what I'm going to talk about. No one rolls in on Easter thinking, what topic is Mike going to cover today? But it's still my favorite Sunday because Easter is this moment where we celebrate the fulcrum of human history, everything before Easter led up to it, and the entire story of the human race shifted after it. Even though things are still broken and messed up and life is still unfair, right? A couple days ago, my kids got in a huge fight because it wasn't fair that one bowl of ice cream looked like it had more ice cream in it than the others. You would have thought World War III started in my kitchen over the possibility of an extra half scoop. So I had to break it to him. I'm not going to start using a measuring cup to scoop ice cream for you guys just to avoid your complaints. It's too much. I can't do it. And you can boycott dad's ice cream shop if that upsets you. I'm going to be fine. I'm not like Dairy Queen. If you boycott me, I'm going to save money on the deal because I don't have to feed you treats anymore. And they responded by letting me know that it wasn't fair. So I told them, fairness is like Bigfoot. Everybody's heard of it. Nobody's actually seen it. That's true, you guys. It's not fair that some people have glorious heads of hair their whole lives and mine abandoned me in my 20s. It's not fair that some people can eat whatever they want and other people gain three pounds just looking at a burger. It's not fair that some people get out of speeding tickets repeatedly. That would be on the list of my wife's complaints about the universe. Because in our 17 years of marriage, we've paid for two speeding tickets, both times she got pulled over. My story's been a little bit different. It's included a lot more frequent stops, but less tickets. Like a couple years ago, I was driving my Aunt Karen's car after she'd passed away. I inherited it, and her estate wasn't closed, but I was paying like taxes, tags, and insurance on it, and I got pulled over, and the policeman came to my window, and he said, I got two problems. Number one, you were going 15 over in a school zone, and number two, my computer says this car is owned by a dead woman. So I looked at him and I said, I'm going to have to concur with both of those statements. I didn't actually know I was in a school zone, but if I was, I was going way too fast. And it's my aunt's car. Her state's not closed. It's not closed because my dad is the lawyer in charge of it. And he's a great guy, but not a very fast worker. So it could be a long time, but I'm paying for the car. So yeah, like I was speeding in a school zone on a school day in a dead lady's car. That happened, but I have good news. He said, what's that? I said, wearing my seatbelt. Safety first. And the guy just looked at me and he chuckled and he's like, I don't even, I don't even know what to say to all this other than, can you just not speed in school zones anymore, man? And I promised I wouldn't. I went home and told Jenny and she was furious. She would have rather paid for the ticket and taken the bump in the insurance just so I would have to suffer the consequences of my dumb actions for once. But life's not fair. It's not, and we wish it was. We want things to be fair. We want life to be fair, or at least we think we do. But do we really? I want to take a look at a story today 
where God was unfair. And I realize that may sound like a weird thing to say. As soon as you hear it, you're like, God was unfair. That didn't seem right. But as I've been reading the Easter story over the past couple weeks again and again, there's one character, like one interaction that keeps jumping off the page at me because of the profound unfairness of God. It's found in Luke chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 32. So if you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open there. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen. And if you need a Bible or your kids need one, we have them in a bunch of different colors for a bunch of different age groups back at that Next Steps table. They're free. They're a gift to you. We love it when they disappear. So please take whatever you need before you leave today. Luke 32, a little bit of background before we jump in. Jesus has been arrested beaten and sentenced to death by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. So he's being led out to this hill just outside the city of Jerusalem called Golgotha, where the Romans execute people. And this is what we read in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place they called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And a real quick time out, because I don't want us to miss the fullness of what's going on here. Crucifixion is one of the most painful, humiliating ways to kill a human being that has ever been invented. In fact, we have a word in the English language that was specifically invented to describe it, excruciating. It comes from Latin, the language of Rome. Ex means out of, cruciate means nail to a cross. There was no pain or no word to describe the pain of being crucified, and so they had to come up with a completely new one. And the question is, what exactly is so excruciating about it? Well, the process started with 39 lashes to your back with a whip that had fragments of bone and glass knit into it so it would rip away whole shards of your flesh, sometimes exposing your internal organs. Occasionally, people lost so much blood that they died before they even made it to the cross. But if you were lucky enough to make it to the cross, they would drive seven-inch nails through your hands and your feet and then hoist you into the air, the weight of your body dislocating your shoulders in the process. And then you would ultimately and eventually die from asphyxiation because you couldn't breathe without excruciatingly pushing up on the nail through your feet so you could get oxygen into your lungs. Sometimes that process would last three or four days until ultimately a Roman soldier in an act of mercy would break your legs so you couldn't push up anymore. Now, no matter what you believe about what happened three days later, it's a matter of historical fact that the most universally recognizable human life that has ever walked this planet, Jesus of Nazareth, was crucified. He was mercilessly executed and a manner of death reserved for the most wretched of criminals. And as he hung there on the cross, his body racked in pain, struggling to breathe, Jesus looked out at a crowd of Roman soldiers who had crucified him, at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish religious leaders who had demanded his death, and he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I don't know about you guys, I don't think that would have been my reaction. (laughs) 
Like it takes my breath away to read those words because I just try to picture being in that situation, suffering that unjustly. And I think I would have prayed, okay, Father, that's it. Give me down and give me lightning from my fingers like Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. I'm going to zap all these people. Or at least, at least give them a never-ending itch right in the middle of their back in that spot that they can't reach. Just, I don't think I could have brought myself to spit out the words, forgive them. But that's what Jesus prayed, and they mocked him for it. The crowd mocked him. The Roman soldiers mocked him. Even one of the other guys on the cross mocked him. In verse 39, we read, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I think this interaction is fascinating. The second guy's like, yo, we're up here because we deserve to be. I'm hanging here today because it's a consequence of my actions. I think there's something inside us as human beings that really likes it when bad people get what they deserve. We just do. Like if someone's tailgating you on the interstate and you can't get over and they're just riding you and then finally you get over and they fly by and two miles later they've been pulled over, it's fun. I like that. We like it a whole lot less though when that stuff happens to us. In those moments, we're kind of like that, that first criminal. He's making fun of Jesus, but also begging Jesus for salvation. He's like, oh, you're the Messiah. But if you actually are and you're going to get down, can you get me down too? And the second guy's different. The second guy looks at him. He's like, hey, I know that my own choices led me to the exact place that I'm in now. And he looks at the other thief on the cross and says, you and I deserve to die, but Jesus has done nothing to deserve this. What has he done but bring hope and healing and love to the world around him? He doesn't deserve to be up here with us. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And those of you who are churchy people, if you grew up in or around church, you probably know how Jesus responded to that, but I want to invite you for a minute to pretend that you don't. Let's just all put ourselves at the foot of the cross in this moment, looking up at Jesus, witnessing this interaction. If we didn't know any better, what would we expect Jesus to say to this guy? I think most of us, and probably the crowd that was watching, expected Jesus to hand him one of those phrases that we use for the, you know, the, the well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions moments. Like, you made your bed, now you got to lie in it. You did the crime, now you got to do the time. What goes around comes around, buddy. Or my favorite one, I say it to my kids all the time, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. My kids hate it, but I just, I struggle to feel as much sympathy for them in their suffering as they want me to in the times where they brought it on themselves. Like when Billy runs in crying, he's like, Tommy kicked me, and angry, kicky Tommy marches in three seconds later. I'm like, did you kick him? He's like, yeah, well, he punched me in the back of the head when I wasn't looking. I just don't feel that bad that Billy got kicked. I'm kind of more like... Bill, you know what your tears smell like right now? 
like consequences. <laughs> I just, I think if we didn't know any better, if we didn't already know this story, most of us would be expecting Jesus to explain that in this moment to the dirty, rotten scoundrel dying next to him. Like, dude, this is your fault. Especially because he can't make restitution for what he did wrong. Like, he can't go find all the people that he hurt and pay them back in any meaningful way and, and set things right. He's nailed to a cross. His time on planet Earth is coming to an end real soon. There's, there's nothing he can do to get his life in order. He can't do any sort of quid pro quo like, hey, Jesus, if you do this for me, I'll, I'll start going to church again. Jesus, if, if you do this for me, I'll, I'll swear less and, and drink less and steal less and lie less. I'll go to anger management classes. I'll be nicer to my parents. I'll give more money away to the poor. There's nothing this guy can do to reform his life. He can't even raise his hands to praise God because they're nailed to a cross. That's his situation. And in verse 43, Jesus looks at this guy and says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That is not fair. What's fair is criminals suffering the consequences of their actions. Today you'll be with me in paradise? It's not fair. You know what it is? Grace. Grace is better than fairness. Grace is better than fairness. It's the greatest news that any of us will ever receive, and it's scandalous. Do you know what an incredible risk God took when he decided to choose grace over fairness and then announce it ahead of time? Like while we were still all sorts of messed up, while we were still running from God, holding a hand up to him, turning our backs on him, hurting him and hurting the people around us into that space, God announced grace. He made forgiveness available to every single human being when the fair thing to do would have been to abandon us to the shattered world our choices created. But God doesn't care about fair. Like, thank God. God doesn't care about fair. And it's such a blessing for you and me because we're a lot more like that second criminal than most of us want to admit. Every one of us is. You are, I am, all of us are. Now, something inside us wants to think that's not true because we want to earn our way to God. We want to be good enough. We want to have the ability to go out and do enough good to make up for all the bad things we've done and believe in our heart of hearts that we deserve paradise after we die. We want that. And we live in a world that promises us we can have it. Every religion and every irreligion, every faith system in this world, including atheism, agnosticism, and secular humanism, provides us with a list of do's and don'ts and then promises us if we stick to the list, if we jump through all the correct hoops and we successfully avoid all the wrong hoops, then we can be good enough and we buy into that even though we know we can't do it. Deep down in places we don't talk about at parties, every single one of us knows that we can't keep anybody's list good enough. And it creates fear and anxiety deep in our souls. Because we know we're a lot like that second criminal. Hopeless, helpless, and desperate. I don't want to ask you to raise your hands, but I think if we were honest, when I ask the question, how, how many 
of you have felt guilt or shame in the last week? How many of you have felt awful because you said or did something that cut someone you care about really deeply? How many of you have looked in the mirror and not loved the person you saw staring back at you? I think if we were honest, every single hand in this room would go up. And the problem isn't just that we feel dirty and ashamed, it's that we're embarrassed because other people know we're dirty and ashamed. They see it in us. And for a lot of us, we're trying with everything we've got to fix it, but we don't have the DIY skills that are required for this one. It's kind of like last summer, I bought some ice cream cones at Hy-Vee on a really hot day, and my kids were eating them on our front porch. And no parent in the room is going to be surprised to hear this, but it didn't end up being the cleanest of experiences for my eight-year-old twins. Like 20 seconds in, and this is where we were at. You can see it was headed south real fast. And Tommy came into the house after he was done. He's like, hey, Dad, can I have a napkin? And I looked him over at his face and his hands and his neck and his shirt and his knee. And I was like, I don't think a napkin's going to cut it here, buddy. I liked where his head was at with trying to get himself cleaned up. But we were more in range of a hose than a napkin at that point. You guys, that's us trying to earn our way back to God. We are bringing a hose, or we're bringing a napkin to a hose situation. We're bringing a napkin to a hose situation. Thing is, we're not just mistakers in need of correction, we're sinners in need of a savior, which is why Jesus had to step out of eternity into the human story and take on something that wasn't fair so that we could live lives we don't deserve. That's kind of the way it works for heroes in all of our stories. The ones we saw in the video at the beginning of the service, William Wallace and Princess Anna and Spock and Baymax, all of them gave something that wasn't fair to ask of them so the people around them could have something they didn't earn. And that whole cultural narrative that's so ingrained into us, it's almost formulaic in our movies of the self-sacrificial hero, all of that starts with Jesus, the original self-sacrificial hero who gave everything for people who could offer him absolutely nothing in return, who sacrificed what was fair to create a more beautiful future for the world, who offered us grace when what we deserved was death. I think that's so beautiful and incredible, at least for me, because all of us need something bigger than just a second chance. It's easy to get to the point where you think, you know what, I messed up. I just, I just need a, a second chance here. I don't know about you guys, though, but a second chance would be incredibly generous for me. I'm like thousands and thousands of chances past my second chance. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. We need a whole new lease on life, and we're offered one because of his death, but not just because of his death. We're offered a whole new life because he didn't stay dead. Like death is the fair consequence for our sin, but Jesus took that upon himself to pay the penalty on our behalf. And then three days later, three days later, he defeated our final enemy of death by unlocking it from the inside. This is what Luke writes in chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. This is the message of Easter. And this is why you should consider becoming a follower of Jesus today. And no matter what your story is, whether you used to be and you kind of drifted over the years, whether you've never felt like faith was, was that important and never taken it seriously before, whether you grew up in church and got hurt by it and quit, that's real. But no matter what your experience has been, you should consider following Jesus today because the truth of Easter is that nobody expected nobody. Like, nobody expected nobody. His followers knew that it wasn't fair he'd been killed, but they assumed after he got killed, he was dead. Even his enemies thought that. As they watched him hang there on the cross, everyone assumed that was the last chapter in the story of Jesus Christ. But three days later, something happened. Some, you can make of it what you will, but something happened. There's a reason that Jesus of Nazareth is the most universally recognized life that's ever lived on this planet. And that reason isn't that the Romans accidentally executed an innocent Jewish guy in the first century. The Romans accidentally executed a lot of Jewish guys in the first century, and we only know one of their names. It's something happened. Because within days of the crucifixion, not months, not years, not decades, within days, Jesus' followers, who had been so afraid for their lives that they ran and hid and denied even knowing him the moment he got arrested, walked back out onto the streets of Jerusalem and began to proclaim boldly, even though they knew it might and eventually would likely cost them their lives, they said, you killed him, God raised him, we saw him, death is dead, forgiveness is free. Forgiveness is free. Well, how is it free and why is it free? It's free because God doesn't care about fair. The Father treated Jesus like us so he could treat us like Jesus. So he didn't have to give us what we deserve, death, but he could give us something we don't deserve, forgiveness. Look, no matter who you are, what you've done, what's been done to you or where you've been, forgiveness is real and it's yours this morning because of the grace of Jesus Christ if you just believe and you guys, we need it. Because something inside every single one of our souls cries out, I am cut off from the life I desperately long for, the life I believe I was made for and I don't know how to get there. Well, Easter is how we get there. Jesus is the pathway to there. And the paradox of it the paradox of Christianity is that death is the only way to life. The death of Jesus is the only way we can have access to eternal life. And our death to self and death to sin is the only way we can grab hold of the lives and the futures God wants to hand to us. And so the question is, how do I do it? How do I grab hold of that life and that hope that makes everything new? And it's really simple. Step one is just believe. Believe that Jesus came and gave his life in your place and then he unlocked death from the inside so you can live forever with him. And then step two is surrender. This one seems kind of natural, right? Like if you really believe that God did that, that he inserted himself into the fabric of the human story and gave everything for you, how could you not surrender? But I'm here to tell you, you can believe without surrendering. I know, I've done it. 
I've done it because something in me just desperately wants to hold on to my freedom and my autonomy and my ability to believe I can earn this on my own and I can do it and I can be good enough and I can claw my way to God, but I can't. None of us can. We don't have to, though. Jesus did it for us, and what he's inviting us to do this morning is stop trying to figure out all by ourselves what he already figured out for us. It's not fair, it's grace, and grace is better than fairness. Thank God for that. Thank God for being the hero of the human story. 2,000 years ago, the weight of all hatred and violence and evil and pain, the weight of hell and death itself were placed on the shoulders of Jesus and none of it had the strength to hold him down. Death is dead. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote this, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. I don't know what you walked in here this morning dealing with. I don't know what mistakes are such a part of your story that you believe they have robbed you of the future you're longing for. I don't know what fears are haunting you right now, but I do know that God is inviting you to let his grace wash over you. God is inviting all of us to say yes to his love. And again, no matter where you're at this morning, whether you've been walking with Jesus for years, whether you've held a hand up to him because you got hurt, whether you just haven't been sure, I want you to know God is inviting you right now to say yes to his love and let it wash over you. And I want to pray in a minute, and you can just pray right along with me. And I want to challenge you, if you do that, if you respond to that love for the first time today, or for the first time in a long time, because you used to believe and you've been running away for a while, if you respond to that today, I want to challenge you to do something bold. I want to challenge you to pray with me, and then take that red card that says yes that's in your bulletin and fill it out. And then while the band comes up and they play the last song or after the service, make your way back to that banner that says yes in the back of the room because there are people back there waiting for you and all they want to do is celebrate you and cheer you on, answer questions that you might have, pray for you, and they're going to trade you a book and a Bible and some resources for that card I challenge you to take that bold step today because I believe you will not regret it for one minute. Love is real. Grace is real. Let's thank Jesus for that because today, today we celebrate the fact that he is alive. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for reaching into our brokenness, to the shattered nature of our humanity when we couldn't save ourselves when despite all of our best efforts, we fell short of earning our way back to you. Thank you for not abandoning us to that hopelessness or abandoning us to that pain, but instead loving us enough to step into our story. God, I just, I thank you. And I wanna invite all of us to just pray this together. Jesus, thank you for your love. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Jesus, thank you for defeating death so that I could live. We thank you, Jesus.
Amen.